Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, though one conversation. It is Fox longtime NASCAR play-by-play announcer Mike Joy and longtime race analyst Larry McReynolds. Both Mike and Larry will be calling the Daytona 500, which airs on Fox on February 19th. Obviously a massively watched event on the sports landscape and we had a great conversation just on how they approach their job how they determine success with their broadcast balancing a broadcast that caters to sort of old school nascar fans with trying to get new people in there's been a lot of changes in the booth and a lot of changes coming including kevin harvick full-time next year larry's role has changed and he discussed that mike joy discussed how um, how long he wants to do this and so I uh, haven't done a lot of NASCAR on this podcast, but this is something I wanted to do with you know, two people, obviously, I've been watching for a long, long time. So Fox uh, NASCAR play-by-play announcer Mike Joy and Fox NASCAR analyst Larry McReynolds coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, uh, very pleased to be joined by these two gentlemen. I don't, I think people who listen to this podcast know, I don't do a ton of NASCAR, but I certainly have great respect for the sport and the longevity of uh, of the product, just as a as a significant television product in the United States. The Daytona 500 will air on Sunday, February 19th. That's 2:30 p.m. on Fox. Mike Joy will call the race. This is his. He can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's his 44th Daytona 500 for either on television or radio. He'll be alongside Clint Boyer. And Tony Stewart in the booth. My other guest is Larry McReynolds. He will join that Daytona 500 crew from the Fox Sports Studios in Charlotte. If you're a NASCAR fan, you see Larry all the time on their studio shows as well as the um, race broadcast. Two-time Daytona 500 winning crew chief. And he has been with Fox, again, I think for two decades or so. And I'm pleased to be joined by Mike Joy and Larry McReynolds. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. 
Well, thank, thank you, you for having us. Yeah. Sure. You got it. Mike, was I right about that? Is this number 44 okay. for you for Daytona? Okay, I'll be honest. I had to look up my wiki page uh, to, <laughs> to verify it. Uh, but yes, 44 Daytona 500s, uh, MRN Radio, then CBS Sports, uh, and Fox since 2001. Yeah, Mike, a little tip. Don't I might not trust Wikipedia all the time. <laughs> I can go in there and just change it literally during our podcast. Right. So, but we'll go with 44. Uh, that's really, really impressive. And I will, we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. Um, all right, here's where I want to start off. Uh, same question will be for both of you, Mike, what will you consider to be a successful Daytona 500 for you specifically as the race caller? What's six, how do you determine success in your job next Sunday? I think it's one Richard, that as we come to the final lap of the race, the fans understand who the players are why they're at the front, how they got there, and they've picked out a favorite to win it. Because as often happens, the Daytona 500, even though it's a 500-mile race, it's often decided with a last lap pass or a collision that leads to a, a change of lead on the last lap. So if we can tell enough of those stories and give enough context to the cars that are running up front so that the viewers humanize those cars and have an affinity for the driver in them, then I think we've done a good job. Larry, the same question for you in your analyst position. What, what would you, what, how we, how will you determine success after that broadcast ends on that? That we don't have to do any rain feel whatsoever throughout the day. <laughs> that's, that's a big success for all of us, but you know, Richard, I, I don't get caught up too much in, in personal things because I, I think that's what's made our group. If you look at a big chunk of our group, we've been together for so many years and every one of us has an ego or we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. But I think what has made us work for so many years as a team is the biggest chunk of our ego is let's just have a good broadcast. Let's just have a good broadcast. And if we do that and we accomplish that, it's going to make all of us shine. It's like David Hill told us in the very beginning, we may have some bad races, but we should never, ever have a bad broadcast. And, and he was spot on. But, you know, maybe on that personal side with the role that I play, if I can forecast some strategy that actually come to fruition, you know, I've also been taught, Mike's been a big component of this. It's okay to be wrong as an analyst when you're forecasting stuff. It'd be nice to know everything you forecasted came to fruition. But I guess if I can forecast a strategy that maybe a team or an organization or even a manufacturer actually seeing it unfold and it comes to fruition, then that that's that's always pretty satisfying. But at the end of the day, let's just have a broad, good broadcast as a team. So, Richard, I'll give you good, I'll give you a good example of this. We were doing the clash out in L.A. a week ago, and fairly early on in the race, just to, just to stick a pin in it, I asked Larry, Larry, what about fuel mileage? Is that a consideration? And Larry gave a great answer, which is no, it's only 150 laps. Everybody should have started with a full tank. Shouldn't even be a consideration. And then later in the race, I asked, so Larry, how about my fuelish question now? And, and I told said, him his, his foolish question is no longer foolish. <laughs> <laughs> and two cars ran out of gas. Yes, yes. <laughs> because they didn't fill up before the start of the race. Right. Nice. All right. We got one pun in. Beautiful. Um, all right, Mike, the 
we were talking a little bit about this before you went on the air. You have a new lead producer, uh, Chuck McDonald, who I know from college football. Um, this is his first year. He places a longtime producer that you had in Barry Landis. Uh, you have other people in the production group who sort of at least have moved a little bit. But, you know, from writing about this a long time, you know, I, I know how important like that lead producer is. He or she have their way of doing things. Um, there's a rhythm that happens, especially with the lead broadcaster and the lead producer, but the same with Larry, in Larry's position as well, analyst and the producer. So far, and I know it's early, um, has Chuck McDonald changed at all what you guys do, or do, do you feel like he has a vision that is at all different than what you guys have been doing for as many years as you did it before? Uh, not yet. Um, most of us at Fox Sports came over from CBS, either with the NFL or with NASCAR. Um, and those that did were fortunate enough to have learned television broadcasting at the knee of Bob Stenner, longtime Summer All Madden producer, longtime CBS producer of the Daytona 500, and a producer who really excelled at being collaborative, at seeking out our input, for storylines or for direction the broadcast uh, th that we wanted the broadcast to go in. And that's not just the booth. It's the pit reporters. It's everybody who works on the telecast. Um, Stenner was great at that. And then he'd develop a plan of coverage from there. Um, and, you know, I've worked with producers that are autocratic. You know, we're going here. We're going there. We're going there. I had a producer once in the middle of a telecast say, talk about the eight car. I had no idea why or what, and he wasn't in a great battle. And to this day, I don't know what that motivation was. And that's that's not the way I like to work. I like, I thrive on a collaborative process. Um, I don't need to make the decision, but I do like to have input. We all do. That's how Barry Landis was. And that's how Chuck McDonald is. Um, now, granted, we've only had a couple of weeks to really get to know each other, although Chuck did spend the first nine years of this 20 plus year NASCAR relationship working on the pre-race show for NASCAR. So he's not new to the sport, thank goodness. Um, but he is very collaborative. And to his credit, I think Chuck's done a whole lot more listening than he has talking, you know, as far as, as trying to uh, move the broadcast in a certain direction. Um, we're going to have hiccups as, as we do with any major change. And the producer is not only the talent's first line of communication in any live sports telecast, you know, but also he's the one that's moving the telecast in different directions. Uh, the director's calling out the shots, but the producer is, is running the show. Um, we did have a moment in the clash where we went to a live replay under green flag racing that, uh, that I didn't know was coming. And I quickly adapted to that. <laughs> that, that. That can happen at any time. But, you know, so far, it's been a, an excellent transition. He's got uh, Pam Miller with him. He's got Richie Zients right there um, to kind of help help guide him through the nuances of a sport where I guess, I guess the only comparison is golf. In golf, there are, what, uh, uh, 100, 120 balls in the air at one time. And in NASCAR, there's 40 of them, and they're all in very close proximity, and the story can come from any one of them at any time, unlike traditional sports 
coverage of a sport where there's one ball or one puck in play. So, boy, it's a lot to get used to, but but I'm I'm really excited about where we're headed, um, and and so far so good. And, and Richard, just to add to that, Chuck McDonald told us all as a group in the very beginning when we had our seminar uh, about a month ago, and then him and I had a lot of one-on-one conversations because I thought it was really important for him and I to make sure we were on the same page with each other because let's face it, my role is very, very different. It's very, very unique. I'm kind of a third analyst, but I'm more of a rules analyst. I'm not at the racetrack. I'm in a studio in Charlotte. It's almost a role that we created six or seven years ago that didn't even exist in NASCAR. You know, you've got the Mike Pereira's of the NFL and and people like that, but we kind of fabricated this robe. But Chuck McDonald told us and told me, what you guys have been doing is pretty damn good. I'm not here to change the world. I'm just here to kind of get my shorts on straight, and then we will we will start moving forward as we get into it. But he he didn't want to come in and just reinvent the wheel because he felt like it didn't need to be reinvented. Uh, so I want to ask you this, Mike, and this is um, you know, this is something I'm sure that you've uh, thought about that the production has thought about, and there's not a perfect answer, but it is something that I think you have to think about, and. That is like, how does the broadcast balance um, as a group, like catering to longtime NASCAR fans, the people who have been with you since, you know, um, <laughs> David Pearson and, you know, Richard Petty, however, whatever iconic figure, Dale Earnhardt, you know, whatever iconic figure you want to name to today with the real like um, job requirement that you got to bring new fans in. That That's just the reality of a sport. And so... I imagine if you're a 30-year NASCAR fan, you have an idea of how you want your broadcast to be. But if you're a new NASCAR fan, you know I don't know if that appeals to you if you don't know every all the nomenclature and everything else. That's a very tricky thing, I think, for Fox to try to figure out. Have you? I don't know in your position, Mike, if it even gets to that because you got to call the race. But is that ever discussed in your production meetings? Like, is there a way we can navigate this line between appealing to old school but also being? Um, being able for a new fan to be able to pick up what's going on. I think it has to be organic. Um, Certainly the Daytona 500, we're going to have roughly double the audience that we would have at any other race this year. Yeah. It's like the Super Bowl. You have more casual fans for that race than you'll ever have the entire year. So we're going to be a little more, we're going to be more descriptive in the Super Bowl on both the drivers, on the cars, on the rule changes, on the technology. But the phrase that, that, that to me is just fingernails on a blackboard is for those of you new to NASCAR. And I just want to go shut up, you know, shut up. Right. We're going to bring them along. And the, the, you know, on the Super Bowl, you're not going to hear, you're not going to hear the announcers say, all right, now the team with the ball has four downs to make 10 yards and move the chains and block, you know, and like that, because you have to assume a certain level going in. Um, my, my textbook example for this is the movie Hunt for Red October with Sean Connery. They did not insert a character into the movie to ask those questions. Um, they simply talked about the submarine kind of as a living being and used the vernacular you would use if you were on board 
with an occasional demonstration, but not much. And the viewer, by the midpoint in the viewer in the movie, the viewer knew all that technology and knew what the characters, uh, you know, when he when somebody says Weps has the con, you know, that means the weapons officer yeah. is in control of the ship. And you assimilate that by by watching and listening and seeing what happens. So we can't we can't do it quite that way. But if if a driver takes the lead, that is, let's say, not one of the established stars of the sport, it's appropriate to give his background and talk about where he's been and how he got to this stage. And more importantly, answer the question, why is it newsworthy that he's in the lead? because it's not what we expected to see. So we will bring the new viewer along by being uh, more descriptive, but not by pandering to the new viewer at the expense of the longtime fans, we hope. Mm, that, that's a, that Hunt for, first of all, Hunt for October is a phenomenal movie, but that's a great, that's actually a really great example um, in terms of thinking about it. What about for you, Larry? Because the reality is, um, the question really I would even argue focuses more on what you do than Mike. Cause Mike, Mike has a job. He's got to call like what is in front of him. And even if I'm a novice, like I can understand like the number eight car is ahead of the number four car. Like it's, I don't need to know NASCAR to sort of know that, but where your expertise comes in, that's the specific nomenclature of the sport. So how do you, how do you, if you have to navigate this at all, how do you see it? Yeah, and it's especially I think for my role, Richard, it, it's definitely walking on a tightrope. You know, when I stepped in the booth in two thousand and one with Mike Joy, uh, one so much respect and admiration for that man, and anything he said, I tried to be like a sponge. And there's dozens of things he said to Daryl and I that I listened to and I tried to adhere to. And he had a he had a, a a phrase or a saying that when they send a rocket into orbit to outer space, the people don't care what that rocket's made out of. They care about those astronauts that are in that rocket. And that that always resonated with me. So kind of to your point about and the Daytona 500 is even more complicated because, again, that broader audience, we 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 got to be careful that we go very treetop with technical stuff, but we don't want to alienate that guy that that wants to know what the rule changes are for 2023. It's I think especially in my my role and, and I can speak from experience because I spent 15 years in that broadcast booth with Mike and DW. And it, you know, it's one thing I kind of enjoy about my role right now. It actually lets me take a step back and and dig deeper into things before we go to air with it. Where when I was in that broadcast booth with Mike and DW, it was talk, move on, talk, move on. You couldn't get bogged down in anything. Um, you know, as we get into the season, you'll you'll see it more in practice and qualifying shows where we might dig a little deeper, but it, it is absolutely walking a tightrope because you, you want to make sure, you know, honestly, I'll give you a great example. I, I'm a huge football fan, but we've got analysts that they use phrases. I have no idea what the hell they are because they never explain it. Just one time during a game. Just tell me one time what the hell you're talking about. Where I, Three letters don't tell me nothing. Tell me what those three letters mean. Yeah, if you don't know what RPO is, if you're watching a football game, you'll have no idea what run pass option is. And so I understand where you're coming from. 
Mike, I want to ask you, I want to actually ask you both this about viewership. And anyone who's ever listened to this podcast, I, I think if you don't know this by now, you really, you, you're just, maybe you're not listening. But view, the announcers have no control over viewership. Um, like the reality is you are coming to the event, whether this is Packers Cowboys or the Daytona 500, because that is the event that you want to see. Announcers obviously have a massive um, um, role in how you process that event and how you come away from the event, either liking it or not. But Mike Joy and Larry McReynolds, no offense to either of you guys, you're not bringing one viewer to the Daytona 500, nor, by the way, are you preventing one person from watching it. Um, although Mike and Larry, I do wish you know you were making Romo and Nance money. That'd be nice, actually, <laughs> the creation of football there. Um, so... Here's why I'm asking this. Like the reality is like people like me, we get access to viewership every week, as I'm sure you guys do. And so like, you know, I know what the clash did, which was uh, a little under 4 million viewers that was down from last year, um, but up from the previous years when the race was on FS1, naturally speaking, and down, I think, from when um, it was on broadcast television sort of back in the day. Again, that's still an excellent viewership number in the world that we live in today. To bring 3.65 million people to watch anything in sports is a phenomenal number. That said, you guys have bosses, and like they pay attention to this stuff. So what I'm asking you, in a very long-winded question, Mike, is do you ever th- like does viewership ever come into your sort of role as the lead here? Like, are you curious about it? Does it impact you at all? I'm curious. I've asked everybody this in other sports. I actually don't know how it does for you guys in NASCAR. First off, um, you're right. Nobody's tuning in to see Clint Boyer, Mike Joy, Larry McReynolds, Tony Stewart. However, I do think the announcers can play a role in holding an audience. And that's key to increasing an audience. Because you're going to have people who are going to tune out during the race, tune back in. There's quite an ebb and flow uh, to any sports telecast. Um, The NBA is probably the best example. I know a lot of people watch the first two minutes, last two minutes of a basketball game. Last two minutes sometimes takes 30 minutes. That's okay. But that's how people consume television uh, and all media now is by tuning in and out. Very few people watch the entire day. But there are things we can do to help hold an audience. Um, I often describe what we do as a three-legged stool. Inform, educate, and entertain are the three legs. And if any one of those goes down, the stool falls over. So one of the things that's been stressed to us ever since David Hill got Fox into NASCAR is explain why. And try to explain what could happen next or what is likely to happen. I think uh, a lot of people tell me that their enjoyment of watching, say, football games goes up when the analyst talks about what's likely to happen on the next play or on the next possession. You want to stay and see if he's right because you've formed your own opinion already, whether he's right or not. Uh, so there's there's a good bit of that we can do, and, and we can do more of it. And holding an audience is key to increasing an audience. Uh, you're right. Other than that, we have little control, and it's a statement about the health of this sport and other sports in general when the final ratings come out 
uh, on Tuesday. Other than that, ratings don't get discussed in our production meetings. Um, we just always go in trying to do the best job possible of attracting and holding viewers to try to make that number as high as possible. But the number is not relevant to what we do because we're going to do the best possible job every week, whether we get a one rating or a 10 rating as the Daytona 500 has in the past and whether we have 2 million or 30 million viewers, it's, it's still the, the pride of a job well done is the same, no matter what the audience is. Yeah. I do want to add one other thing that Dr. Hill, an order he gave us, and it was always the final order. Have fun. If you're not having fun, how in the world can you expect the viewer to be enjoying it and having fun? And if you look at our 22 years of doing it, I don't think any of us have had a problem having fun. We may we may miss the boat a few times on some other stuff, but we're going to always have fun. But yeah, I mean, two things that that I have vowed not to hang my hat on, and that's ratings, because to Mike's point, there ain't a damn thing we can do about them. They're they're really in. And the other thing is is social media on Monday, especially Sunday night or Monday, because if you really look closely, the same group that blasphemes us for four months, they blaspheme NBC for the next four months, the majority of them. So, um, yeah, we, we go back to the ego of our team. Is it nice when the rating is up? Absolutely. But is it nice when we see a full stadium of people? Absolutely. But you know what? There really is not anything because a few years ago, Richard, if we hung our hat on ratings, I'd have went and jumped off of a bridge and probably sliced my wrist as I was on the way down to make sure I got rid of it. Uh, but I, there's just, to Mike's point, we can do the best job we can at maintaining the audience. But as far as those ratings moving the needle or butts in the seat, I'm not sure there's a whole lot we can do. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I got um, two very good colleagues at The Athletic with me, Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi, who uh, I talked to before I was going to uh, interview uh, you two. And they gave me a couple things to uh, think about and ask. So this this will be that portion of this. And I appreciate those guys uh, very much. Larry, I'm going to start with you. Um, you mentioned this earlier in this interview. Your role has changed from being at the track and being next to Mike to now being um, – you know, in, in a separate studio in Charlotte. So like you said, you got to think about um, the broadcast, your role in the broadcast differently. It does give you, like you said, more time to maybe do some more stuff. Um, has that been a challenge for you to go from um, being at the track to now your current role? It, it, it has, you know, I, I mean, I can make no bones about it. Uh, but, you know, Robert Yates, 
who I, I worked for for six years, and and he just beat this in me because when I was his crew chief back in the early 90s, we, we would get rule changes about three times a week. And when some of them would come in that was not what I felt was in our favor, I'd lose my flicking mind. And Robert was always the guy that said, Larry, just remember, the person or the people that embrace change, that's the people that will prevail. And he installed that in me. And I, I've tried to I've tried to make that work in my professional and my personal life. Um, was it scary when I got the call in May of 2015 that I was no longer going to be in the booth with Mike and Daryl for 2016? And probably the scariest thing is nobody could tell me what I was actually going to be doing in 16. But but Mike mentioned Barry Landis, him and I worked very hard creating this role. But the good news from 16 through, I think, 18, I was still at the track. But it has been a vertical mountain doing what I do and not being at the track. But the good news is I've created enough great relationships in that garage area with engineers, with crew chiefs, with engine tuners. They all embrace what I do and how I go about doing it. They know I'm not out to burn anybody or give away any secrets. And I've got a list of about dozen plus that I'll be calling, texting, emailing, especially after practice and qualifying on Saturday and on race morning. Um, it's made me have to work hard at it. But again, I was bound to determine I'm going to take this change and I'm going to look at it. And I'm going to go, I'm going to make it as good as I possibly can. Mike, um, we have seen play-by-play uh, -play broadcasters go deep into their 70s and their 80s in Vince Scully's case. But look at how Michael's still calling major NFL football. I think he's turned 77 this year. So Mike Emmerich, probably the greatest uh, U.S. NHL broadcaster of all time, went into his 70s. Um, when you're thinking about how you look at the current job long-term, how do you look at it? Because if nothing else, the uh, uh, where you are chronologically in your age, I feel like has changed now in terms of sports television, where the idea of maybe if you had to get out of the booth at a certain age, not sure that exists anymore, especially for someone like yourself, who's been in this role for a long time and has the kind of reputation. Well, I'm, uh, I'm happy for that change. Obviously it's, it's coming a very, it's coming a very good time for me. Um, wow. I don't have a, a determined endpoint. I'm not sure anybody in this role does. Uh, analysts tend to rotate out of the sport sooner than play-by-play -play people because their currency of knowledge uh, passes its sell-by date. Um, I'm looking forward to having Jimmy Johnson in the booth for a race or two this year because he will be the first analyst we've had who has actually raced the new generation of NASCAR race car. Um, so, so that kind of happens. Um, Larry's done a fantastic job of keeping his fingers and, and his tentacles into the garage at all times and knowing what these teams are working with and, and so forth. Um, my prep certainly in my role is different. And so 
maybe people I, I you know younger broadcasters can't go into the booth and fill three hours with the firsthand stories that I can or Larry can um and I and obviously Fox sees a value to that or I wouldn't I wouldn't be there so at some point and I don't know if it's in the near future or the distant future the execs at Fox will say we need someone younger or we have someone coming along um, that we want to try in that role at, at the highest level at the cup series. And, you know, somebody else will make that decision. It probably won't be me. The other thing that happens, especially to play by play people is what you are saying right now is what you thought of a millisecond to half to three quarters of a second ago. And occasionally, the thought and the speech process overlap or, or get skipped over. So I'll be thinking of driver X and mistakenly say driver Y or that sort of thing. When that starts to happen too frequently, it's time to step aside. And that's just part of the aging process that comes at, at, at different ages and different times for everybody. Um, I try to stay very, very active um, so that that doesn't happen sooner than it absolutely has to. And I love what I do. Um, are they going to have to drag me out of the booth kicking and screaming at some date? Yeah, they probably will. And, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I've, had a, I've been blessed with great production people and great analysts and great reporters that have allowed me to do what I get to do. And uh, it's been a great career. Uh, if it stopped tomorrow, I'd say, you know, it's it's been an absolute blast. If it goes on for another one, two, five, however many years, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to do this as long as they would like me to. Uh, and my wife says, don't you dare retire. I, I love having you around the house, but not all the time. So it, it all works together. And at the end of the day, I love what I do. And as long as I'm able to do it at what the networks consider to be a very high level, I'm, I'm very happy to oblige. I appreciate you answering that, Mike. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, a couple more here. Larry, um, next year we're going to see two full-time analysts in the booth, I think, for the first time since Daryl Waltrip retired. Obviously, I think uh, uh, I shouldn't even make this make the presumption, but Kevin Harvick will join the Fox NASCAR booth uh, in 2024, for those who didn't see that announcement, uh, calling the NASCAR Cup Series races. Um, he's been in the booth the last couple of years. So next year, two full-time analysts. Larry, you obviously have experience with that. Um, how do you think uh, – how do I sort of ask this? Does the sport sound different with more, like, with that, with more analyst voices in the booth than – what we traditionally have in other sports where it's generally speaking, one play-by-play -play person, one analyst. Now, again, 
that's not, you know, like the NBA finals has three, has two analysts. So I don't, I don't want to make the presumption that, that this is across the board, but by and large, even still in 2023, your setup is one play-by-play person, one game analyst, one hey, Hang one on a second, sideline. Richard, because at one time during the clash last week, we had four analysts in the booth. Four drivers <laughs> to contend yeah. with, and neither Larry or I could hardly get a word in edgewise. <laughs> yeah, that's that's tricky for you, Mike. Larry, how do you see that? Like, how do you see? Yeah, that as a, so like, as a setup? if you think about 2020, uh, we did have two driver full time analysts in the booth because that's when Clint joined us and uh, uh, Jeff was there. Is that, am I right in say, saying that? Or 21? Was it, Am I right on that, Mike? Um, Daryl retired, re, retired at the end of 19, though, didn't he? And then the next year was 20, and that's when it was just Mike and Jeff. But remember, yeah. five races in, they were in the studio in Charlotte because of COVID. And then 21 is when Clint oh, yeah. joined right. us and him and okay. Jeff were together. Um, you, you know, I think about sticking ball, Richard, and it's just my opinion – they're they're watching two teams, you know. Uh, basketball, they're watching ten guys on the floor at one time. Baseball, you're watching one baseball go around the field or hit off of a bat. We've got forty, thirty six to forty every single week. Uh, and I, I did some races in Xfinity. Mike and I actually did some Xfinity Series races. Uh, like we'd go to Nashville and and do them, and back in the day, from an analyst standpoint, that was hard. That was hard, and and we 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 caught ourselves finding some dead air, you know, because it's like I don't I don't know what else to say. I'm I'm running <laughs> out of stuff here. Um, but you know what? With Kevin Harvick coming our way, I, I go back to, to to heading into 2016 when. Eric Shanks called me and said, we're going to hire Jeff Gordon. Did it knock the wind out of my sails a little bit? Absolutely. I'm a human being. But my thought was, we can get Jeff Gordon. That's a no-freaking-brainer. Four championships, 93 wins, and the list just goes on and on. Plus, he's a very personable guy. And I look at the same thing with Kevin Harvick. 60 cup wins. He's driven this new car now. He would have driven it two years. Cup championship. And he's still competitive. That that's kind of a no brainer. But but I guess long winded answer to your question, to me doing a race, and I, I speak from experience with just two people in the booth, a, a, uh, a the play by play and our analyst with as many teams and as working parts as we got. It's a little bit of a challenge. I I agree. I agree. I'm much more comfortable with multiple analysts in the booth. I want them in the same booth. I don't like this. Two booths, two people in each, and everybody <laughs> contributing, you know. But I uh, I had no problem having Kyle Busch and Joey Logano in the booth at the Clash, along with Clint Boyer, Tony Stewart, and myself. Everybody got along. Everybody was friendly. Everybody was great. Uh, later, it came to blows on the track, and one called the other Two-Faced. <laughs> Joey said, I am Two-Faced. I'm going to be nice to your face, but on the track, I got a job to do. And so, it, you know, it spilled over, and it was great. But... But yes, I'm. I, I like having multiple analysts for all the reasons Larry expressed. And Richard, just to comment on your retirement question, my wife asks me all the time when I'm going to retire. Other people do, and my response to her is to quote Bobby Bowden, the late Bobby Bowden, the head coach of Florida State. He said, "Well, gosh, Lee, darn! When you retire, there's only one more big event left." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I may yeah. steal that. He's right, by the way. Uh, yeah, my advice to anybody is never retire. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, final two. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. I'm right about this, that there's an, you guys have an additional uh, pit reporter this year, right? That uh, Josh Sims joins Jamie Little and Reagan Smith. Is that, am I correct on that? So um, up until last year, we had uh, Vince, Wel- Vince Welch, who came over from uh, ESPN. And Vince was uh, anchoring the Truck Series telecast. And he was um, the swing pit reporter on... I guess almost half of our races where we had a long enough pit road uh, or a long run to the hospital area where, where we would need a third reporter. Um, so Vince has been replaced by Josh Sims, uh, who comes from NASCAR race hub where he's now one of the hosts and was, was their field reporter does a great job. And so, yes, he'll be with us uh, for about half the events this year. All right. So they, first of all, I appreciate the, clar- the the clarity on that. The reason I was going to ask that is like, it sort of goes back to what Larry said. Like you can make the argument that like you could even have more than three pit reporters, right? Just given how many teams there are, given how many stories there are in a singular race. I mean, I get like, you know, there's production issues and I don't know how many reporters Fox wants to hire, but Mike, from your perspective over the years, I would just, it seems logical to me that the more pit reporters you have on a race, the more, chances you have to find out information in real time from what's going on at the track or in the garage? We have had as many as four pit reporters on, uh, on major races in, in my tenure at Fox. And I think as many as three at CBS uh, prior to that. And yes, it's a lot of ground to cover. Um, it ends up being a lot of voices and Fox kind of made the decision that for most of the races, we would go with two reporters, and and that's worked out well. Um, the problem, after you know, as I can say from you know tw- nearly twenty years on pit road with CBS, um, when one of you, when there's only two of you, and one of you has to go back to the care center or into the garage to interview someone who's fallen out of the race, uh, it really takes you out of the race. Yeah, and it really puts a much bigger load on the remaining reporter reporter out there. It's hard to get all those voices into the telecast and, and have it all work, have it all make sense uh, and, and follow all those stories. I don't know what the right number of reporters is, but you know, the production team makes that decision and we go with the best we've got and, you know, and, and, and it develops from there. But one thing I want to, I want to add Richard is I don't know of a sport or a TV network that has gone through what our group has gone through beginning in early 2020 um, during COVID when everything shut down. We were all driving to Atlanta Motor Speedway when the call came, everybody go home. And the sport was on hiatus and nobody knew what would happen next. And the next thing you know, because one of the things people could do during COVID without impacting anybody else was go for a drive in their car. 
NASCAR figured out a way to have 40 guys go for a drive in their car on Sunday and make pit stops and run a race. And so NASCAR was the first sport back. That's right. Prior to that, what are we going to do with all this ad inventory? What are we going to do with all this time? And fortunately, iRacing, the simulation, had become so lifelike and so accurate that iRacing and Fox decided, let's put iRacing on TV. And Jeff and Larry and I did fake racing, you know, gaming as if it was real racing. <laughs> and we got over a million viewers doing it. And I think that helped spur NASCAR to get back to the track. Um, the iRacing thing kind of ran its course to a point where I think in the sixth race, uh, two drivers started the race, immediately turned around, started driving backwards into people so they could crash out quickly because it wasn't their thing. But everybody <laughs> else, you know, had a great time with it. So we did iRacing as if it was real. Then we did real racing with nobody in the grandstand, which was surreal. And then we finally got back to having crowds in small numbers and then greater numbers until the pandemic passed. But, you know, no other sport was able to do what NASCAR could do. And no other sport was able to capitalize on that. No other network was able to capitalize on all of that opportunity. Uh, but Fox. So this group has just been it's been very resilient and it's been very innovative. And I'm during that whole period, I, I'm just I'm still shaking my head. I'm just so proud of what our group has been able to do. And I think it's in the end, uh, I think it's made us better broadcasters. We came up with some new tools, some new way of doing meetings, some new way of of Larry contributing. And, you know, I think I think we're on our game. I think we're going into this season with the idea that this is the best it's ever been and maybe the best it's going to be for a while. So let's get at it. Last one for me. I'll start with you, Larry. Mike, you're welcome to uh, follow Larry if you wish. Um, one of the things that um, really uh, struck me uh, was Kevin Harvick. I, I think he must have said this in the last couple of days. And he was talking about that the races need, now really need to, you need to look at this like an event, like every race has to be looked at like an event, like a great event. You know, when you, when you watch the Super Bowl, it's like, it's an event more than a game. And he was referring to like, for the clash, um, shots of the college kids in the student section who were like enjoying Wiz Khalifa. And like, he was saying that like, that felt like an event and that's the way you can bridge like the traditional NASCAR fan with bringing young people in. And I think like I, he's absolutely like dead on, like that's a really interesting way to look at it, to make it like 38 parties or whatever the schedule is. It's easier said than done, but Larry, like, do you, that's kind of the one thing that like F I give F one a lot of credit for. It feels like every F one race, it's not a race. It's like a, like, yeah, it's like a party or an event or like some of that has to do with, you know, Monaco's beautiful or, you know, Paris is beautiful. But like, I think Harvick's on to something like is like, is that feasible to like make every single race on the NASCAR calendar? It's not just a race. It's like Kentucky Derby's coming into your town this week kind of thing. I don't know. I, that just struck me as a really interesting way to look at the sport that maybe I had not looked at it before. No, he, he's spot on. And, and, I, and I have said that for a long, long time. Now, do we need to stop every race and have a halftime and. Uh, someone performing. I'm not sure we need to go that far, uh, but you're right. E even when we started 
doing NASCAR on Fox two decades ago, pretty much it was it was the race. You know that that was that's we sh- you know the fans showed up and there was a race on a racetrack. They came, they left. But I relate it to once again because I am such a huge college football fan. My wife ha- and I have been to a number of bowl games. We've been to a number of playoff games and national championship games. And yeah, we're all there for that game, but it's an event. I mean, we would, I remember going to the Orange Bowl a number of years ago. We were there six hours before the game because there was so much going on and so much to do and so right. much enjoy. And I think I, we can always do a better job at it, but when you look at the tracks, they're doing a better job of it more and more and more. You just look at all the improvements that's been done to so many venues that was done to Daytona, that was done to Richmond, to Vegas, to Phoenix, and the list just goes on and on and on. It's to give it that a big event feel and that there's more to do there than just be there for the race. That's why we're there, and we never want to take our eye off that. But I, I we can always do better, but I see it happening at a pretty rapid pace. And then I think the other thing is, you know, I've said this for years, and I think I've heard Harvick say this. I think as we do add new tracks, it also has to be a destination. You, you know, that's what we did with the the L.A. Coliseum. You've got Los Angeles. Now, I love with a lot of push from our bosses that we're going to go to North Wilkesboro for the all-star race. It's going to have that field of dreams atmosphere to it, which they've done two years in Iowa with the baseball game. Do we need to go to North Wilkesboro run a points event? I'm not sure about that, but, but I, I think we're, we're headed in the right direction with this. It's, it's a race, but it's an event too. Yeah. What about you, Mike? You got anything to add before we, we go? The, um, some of the tracks are beginning to embrace the big event atmosphere uh, with satellite events. And by that, I mean, not just smaller races, but events in the community. And I think a couple things need to happen. One is more in market promotion. When we are in LA, um, when we're in Daytona, when we're in Phoenix for the final race, there is a lot of in market promotion. You can't escape the idea that the race is there. On the other hand, uh, Martinsville, is and not to single them out, but they're the closest track to what was our what was R.J. Reynolds' headquarters in Winston Salem, and driving up there on a race weekend when Winston was the title sponsor of the sport, all you saw banners everywhere, every convenience store, every gas station. You could not escape the fact that Martinsville was the race destination on Sunday, and driving up there for the last race, there wasn't a sing. I didn't see a single banner anywhere until I got within half a mile of the racetrack and saw the police presence due to traffic and parking. And so I think the promoters need to do a lot more with in-market promotion. Secondly, Fox used to have a great show called Trackside on Friday evenings at the track uh, that aired on Speed and later on, uh, I guess on FS1. I hosted it for a while. Steve Burns uh, hosted it for the longest time. And several of our analysts were on the panel and the drivers would come and visit and talk about their latest sponsor deal and talk about, you know, what their dog or their kids did or whatever. And it was a way for fans at the track to connect with the drivers. Something we've lost. The drivers are sequestered in the motor coach lot. Uh, There is no track side on Friday nights. It's really hard 
for the fan to feel an up-close affinity to a driver um, in today's NASCAR. That's got to change. We'd love to go back and do trackside again. Unfortunately, the tracks priced it out of existence to where Fox no longer felt it was viable. I wish we could make a business case for it again. And I know we could at some tracks, but in-market promotion, awareness of people that the race is going on, and satellite events to help make it a real event. I think if we're going to drive ratings and drive attendance, those are key things we need to do. Yeah, I mean, he mentions Martinsville and not to single anybody out. You go to Atlanta, Georgia on a race weekend, unless you happen to cut, cut Sirius XM NASCAR radio on, you have no idea there's a race in town that weekend. It, it's pretty sad, actually. Uh, I appreciate you answering that, gentlemen. The Daytona 500 will air on Sunday, February 19th. That's 2.30 p.m. on Fox. Mike Joy will have the call of the race. Larry McReynolds uh, will partner with uh, Mike Clint Boyer and Tony Stewart for analysis. <clears throat> um, Mike and Larry, I, uh, this was really interesting to me. I don't get to talk NASCAR a lot, and uh, the television aspect has always been um, something that's fascinating me because it's just a very different sport than the stuff I write about. I was very fortunate in Sports Illustrated once upon a time. I went to uh, an assignment where I went to six tracks in eight weeks. Um, which was, you know, cool for a Yankee New Yorker like myself. It was a real education. We had Ed Hitton, who used to write for us, who's a brilliant writer, and he educated a lot of us on the sport as well. So um, I've always had an affinity for it, even as a New Yorker. It's just interesting to me because it's very different than stuff that I grew up with. And uh, and I'll be watching on Sunday. I appreciate you guys coming on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Mike Joy and Larry McReynolds for coming on. And uh, Daytona 500 is always interesting, even if you're not a, a diehard NASCAR fan. And obviously that is coming up. Uh, we've obviously had some Super Bowl content on this podcast over the last couple of days, so you can check that out. For that, Adnan Burke and Adam Amin, those two are always good, and particularly when they are together. That's in the archives. Did a conversation on if super teams are good for the WNBA and what coverage is like right now for the WNBA and women's basketball with my colleagues at The Athletic, Chantel Jennings and Sabrina Merchant. Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson were on this podcast on January 27th. You can go back, and that was a pretty interesting conversation. Al Michaels on January 11th. There should be um, some stuff regardless of the sports you like that will be interesting in the archives. If you do like this kind of content, please leave us a five-star interview and a nice note. That is how the podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Canes 13 for their support, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.